Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. You know, in uncertain times, God has a tendency to get our undivided attention. Isn't that true? In fact, if you look at your story, most of us would say that it was during a difficult time in our life, an illness, a job loss, a financial crisis, something that we began to pray for the first time, or we began to pray after not praying for a long time. There's just something about uncertainty that causes us to look up as opposed to simply looking around. We've all kind of been there, right? It's just the way it is. You may remember years ago, the U.S. Airways jet, the one that crash landed in the Hudson River. Well, there were a lot of interviews after that event, and there was one interview with the pilot, co-pilot, and three flight attendants. They were all on a panel, and they were asking them all sorts of questions. Of course, people asked a lot of questions about what was going on in the cockpit. But what I found fascinating was what was happening in the plane during that time. Because one of the flight attendants said it was very, very quiet in the plane. And she could tell it seemed like most people were praying. I bet they were. You know, the flight attendant said she was praying. And I was thinking, yeah. And they didn't have to make any kind of announcement saying, this is the captain speaking. Uh, If you noticed, we turned really, really sharp. If everyone would please pray. Right. You don't have to make that announcement. I mean, people who hadn't prayed in a long time are going, "Um, hello, whoever's up there. Right. Uh, They're trying to remember any Bible verse they heard as a kid or they're doing the the cross thing. I mean, at a time like that, you're just going to pray. Isn't that true? If you're in an airplane and and there's really bad turbulence, if you've ever flown through a thunderstorm and there's lightning all around, isn't it amazing how spiritual you become? I mean, you're so focused. You're not worried about the guy who didn't finish your remodel on time. You're not worried about the stock market. All of a sudden, you are so holy. You're the holiest you've ever been. You are in those moments of fear, untemptable by sin. I think the devil himself could show up and tempt you. And you're like, I don't even have to try to overcome temptation. I'm like laser focused. I mean, you're not mad at anyone. You love everybody. You're confessing everything. You've forgiven everyone. It's astonishing, right? When life is spinning out of control, the natural tendency, at least for most people, is to move in the direction of God. Now, for this reason, God gets more done in the bumps along the way than in the smooth paved roads of life. God gets way more done in our personal lives, and I think nationally, not when things are going smoothly, but when things are uncertain. Basically, we don't learn much when things are going well, do we? We just don't. You learn the most about yourself. You learn the most about life. You learn the most about God when times are difficult. I used to tell this to my kids all the time, especially as it related to them playing sports. Let's say they had a bad game. I would try to make that a teachable moment. I did this one day with my youngest son, Nathan. I said, Nate, you don't learn anything from a good game, but you learn a lot when you don't play as well. And then I said, just think, you learn more than anybody else on your team today. He looked at me and said, thanks, Dad. But you probably could have stopped before that last little application, though. 
Well, the, the point is, when things go well, we don't learn that much. And the truth is, most of us, if you think about a time when you drifted from God, if that describes your spiritual journey, you probably drifted from God when things were kind of going your way. Why? Because that's when we feel like, God, I've got this. Now, there can be bad things that make you question God, but did you know, even when you're questioning God, at least you're tuned into God, right? And that's why this book is probably more relevant now than it's ever been in our whole lives. Because even after we get through this health crisis, we're staring at an economic crisis. And God has given us a roadmap to navigate both of those in this book right here. Nearly all the stories in here happened in times of great uncertainty. This is a record of God's faithfulness to faithless people in troubled times. Your favorite Bible story, chances are it is a story of conflict. It's a story of, oh no, what's going to happen? A story of, oh no, God didn't answer this prayer. Is he going to come through? And yet this is the record of men and women who somehow discovered God's hand and God's activity in the midst of uncertain times. We began talking about this last week, that God still has the whole world in his hands. We added the word still because there are times when you look at your life and you look at our economy and you look at the world and you wonder, is God active at all? Does God interact with the affairs of men? Does God intervene? Is he just out there somewhere? Is he out there at all? And as we come to the Bible, we're reminded that what we're experiencing right now from a biblical perspective is normal. Folks, this is just normal, what we're going through right now. So we really have nothing to fear because God hasn't changed. And if this book is any indication, God is an expert at taking care of his people during uncertain times. Last week, we talked briefly about a verse, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things? Really? That job loss? Am I going to find a new job? Am I going to sell my house? Will my parents be able to move in with us? Am I going to keep my scholarship? Yes, all things, God says. He's at work in all things for those who love him. I believe that's a reference to believers, to Christians. And the Bible reflects what many of us have discovered in the past. God is at work and he actually gets more done in uncertain times. But here's the question I want to answer today. What are we supposed to do in the meantime while we wait for God to do something and answer our prayers? What are we supposed to do when the uncertainty becomes more uncertain, right? When the bank account gets lower and lower and lower. What are we supposed to do when we get lonelier and lonelier? What do we do in the meantime? Well, the good news is there's a very specific answer from Scripture. It's found in the book of Philippians. And for many of you, when I introduce this passage, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I know that. Been there, done that. I got that one down. Well, there's one tiny word in this passage that I'm willing to bet you've never considered before, especially the depths of it in the Greek language. And it's going to change the way you view this passage. So pay attention today. You're going to learn something new. Now, before we get to this passage, I need to tell you about the guy who wrote the book of Philippians because it's who wrote these verses that makes them believable. In fact, if I were to get up and simply give you the advice that we find in these verses, you would probably just write me off. You would probably think, yeah, he doesn't know what I'm going through. He hasn't experienced enough life. He's never seen what I've seen. 
But the Apostle Paul, it's his life that gives these verses big time credibility. Let me just summarize Paul's life this way. If you want to tell your poor me story, whatever you've been through in life, you wouldn't want to tell your story right before Paul got up to tell his story. You wouldn't want to say, oh man, I've really had a hard time in life and here's what all has happened to me. And then Paul says, well, let me tell you about a hard time. Trust me, you wouldn't want to do that. In fact, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, some people were trying to boast about enduring more in life than the apostle Paul. And so he responded to their challenge and very bluntly said to them, I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. People, Paul was whipped over and over again. His back would have been like shredded wheat at times. He was abused. Three times I was beaten with rods. He says, after that, once I was stoned, okay, as in rocks thrown at him, okay, just a clarification. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked." If you want to talk credibility, Paul is your man. In fact, Paul's story ends with him dying for his faith. So when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from prison, by the way, he instructs them about how to survive and how to pray in times of uncertainty. And you should listen to this guy. Okay, we're going to begin in Philippians 4 here. Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if Paul just said rejoice always, we could say, Paul, you obviously have no clue what's going on in my life. But he adds three words here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And let me help you understand what that means. If I were to take out in the Lord and put in something else, you would totally get this. What if I said rejoice in your new job? Oh, I understand that. Rejoice in the fact that he actually called you back and he's going to take you out again. I'm all over that. Rejoice in your new car. Rejoice in the stock market has turned around. Rejoice in the fact that you made the team. Right? We all know what it means to rejoice in something. It means to focus on that good news to the point where the emotion associated with the good news begins to wash over you. And people say, we are so happy for you that you made the team or that you got that job or you got that raise. See, we know what that means, right? So here's what Paul says. I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated with the fact of God's grace and mercy and love in your life. I want you to stop and allow the reality of what God has done for you to settle in so much so that you actually begin to feel the emotions that should be associated with such great news. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I wrote this in your notes. Rejoice means to reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. To reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. 
Now, the reason this is so important for Americans is, is we don't stop to rejoice in the Lord because we've had so many other things to rejoice about. Now, you come to church, it's like, oh yeah, that God thing, yeah, go God. But we got houses and cars and vacations, so many other things that capture our joy. But as things get harder and harder, and there are fewer things and circumstances to rejoice about, Paul says, maybe it's time to reel some of that in and to refocus your joy on what it probably should have been about all along. Paul says, I want you to pause and discipline yourself to be intentional about rejoicing in God's goodness in your life. I mean, that's why we sing together on Sunday mornings. And some of you love to sing and some love to just listen to others sing. Some of you have been instructed by your spouse that maybe you should just be a listener and not a singer. But, but we sing because the words in the songs remind us to rejoice in the Lord. And the great thing about music is music is emotional. So it becomes an emotional expression of God's goodness, God's grace. That's why we cheer when people are baptized. That's the reason we don't just sit quietly and reverently. We're excited. We're rejoicing about what God has done in their life as a reflection of what God has done in many lives. And, and Paul says, okay, even though I'm in prison, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. So even if things aren't going so well for you, Paul says, I want you to rejoice, not in your circumstances, but in the Lord. All right, let's move on to the next verse, Philippians 4, 5. Paul says, let your gentleness, some versions say your kindness, be evident to all, the Lord is near. Implication, don't let hard times begin to erode your character. Things may be tough, but if your joy is only associated with good times, good circumstances, then as those circumstances erode, so will your character. And you'll become short-tempered and more difficult to live with and your face will fall and people wonder what's wrong with you and you say, well, look what's happening all around me. But as Christians, our character is not about our external circumstances. It's the result of what God has done inside of us through his Holy Spirit. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That in spite of circumstances, there should be something unique about the way you treat people. You know, for most of us, our kindness is a result of our circumstances, right? When life is kind to me, I'll be kind to you. And when life is unkind to me, I kind of use that as an excuse to be unkind to people around me. And Paul says, come on, don't allow something you have no control over, your circumstances, to take control of your character that should be a reflection of God's grace inside of you. Okay, let's move on to Philippians 4, 6. And this is the part where I've really got to lean on Paul because I wouldn't walk into a room and just announce this. Paul says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Or let me say it this way. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, honestly, on its own, that's not very helpful advice, is it? In fact, you hate it. I mean, here's how your friends say it. Here's how your spouse will say it. They'll, they'll say, hey, just don't worry about it. And you just want to shoot them, right? I mean, you've never once said, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I'll just not worry about it. Thank you so much for that valuable advice. Don't worry about it. I should have thought of that all by myself. Do you have a song to go along with that? That is so helpful. In fact, please, would you just two or three times a day look at me and say, stop worrying about it because that helps me so much. No, you just want to strangle them. Because you think the reason it's so easy for you to say to me, don't worry about it, is because you really don't have a clue as to what's going on in my life. And if you were in my shoes, you would be as worried as I am. 
So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but he's smart enough to know you can't just leave it there. And in the next two verses, he gives us the secret to handling difficult times without allowing those difficult times to control us. He gives us a solution, a prescription for what to do during times of extraordinary anxiety, when things are uncertain, when things are unpredictable. And he doesn't simply say, quit worrying. Okay, listen to the rest of the formula. This is so good. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, health situation, job situation, school situation, money situation, marriage situation, Paul says, what I'm about to share with you can be applied in every situation. And here it is. Every time you're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry because of the circumstances, Paul says, here's what I want you to do instead. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if you read that verse this way, like it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. If that's the way you read it, you've missed the meaning of this verse. But I think that's how most people read it. And then we're disgusted because we say, pray. I mean, what do you think I've been doing? I've prayed more over the last couple of months than I've prayed my whole life. I pray all the time. God, help me, protect me, save me, provide for me, heal me, give me peace, please. If you're telling me the answer to anxiety is praying, okay, that, that's not helpful. I've been doing that. Well, I want you to look at this verse again. Because there's a key word here that's going to change the way you read this passage from now on. You ready for this? In every situation by prayer and petition. Okay, there's the prayer part, but he doesn't stop there. With thanksgiving, all right, check. We know what that means. And here it is, okay? Here Paul's going to use a word that's not a typical prayer word. It's a Greek word that's not typically used in this context. And I'm telling you, Paul has given us something super important, super critical, very rich here. And I'll do my best to explain it. He says, and here's the word, present, present. Okay, this word literally means reveal. It has to do with solving a mystery or digging up something that is hidden. In other words, this could take some work on your part. Paul says, present your requests to God. This Greek word, no resist though, is often used in the context of solving a mystery. Say that Greek word with me, no resist though, no resist though. You guys didn't even try, did you? Because you're going, hey, he can't hear me. Come on, say it with me. Nor is this, though. Nor is this, though. It's written right there on your screen. You still butchered it. Yeah, actually, that's a tricky word to say, even if you know Greek. But anyway, this word means reveal what is hidden. Let it be made known. What Paul is saying, and this is backed up by what follows, is this. Look, I don't want you to just pray like, God, help her to call me back. Or God, help me to get my job, right? It, it, okay, it's fine to start there. But Paul says you need to spend the time necessary to understand for yourself and then reveal to God what it is you really, really at the deepest level of your heart desire. On the surface, I desire a job, but what do you really desire, right? On the surface, I need to sell this house. Okay, but what's behind that? What is driving that request? Paul is saying, I want you to reveal, to solve the mystery of what is hidden. Don't just tell God what you want. I mean, that's a good place to start. But I want you to reveal to God the deepest desire of your heart. See, that's the solution. That's the proper response in times of anxiety. Let me dig a little deeper. In times of uncertainty, our deepest insecurities and fears come to the surface. 
But very few of us pray at the level of insecurity and fear. Most of us pray at the level of, here's what I want, here's what I need, in Jesus' name, amen. That's how we pray. You know, help me to find my car keys, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, okay, you, you can pray that way if you want, but that's not gonna help you with your anxiety. On the other hand, when you begin to sort of feel the earth shake beneath your feet and you have doubts and fears you've never had before, Paul says, I want you to come to God, get on your knees and say, God, here's what I want, but here's why I want it. And here's what I fear is going to happen if you don't provide my heart's desire. Do you see the difference there? In other words, he says, I want you to pray and petition. I want you to be thankful but I also want you to reveal to God maybe something you've never revealed before. Perhaps it's not even been revealed to you yet. So you got a mystery you may have to solve in your life. Here's something in your notes. Uncertainty surfaces my deepest insecurities and my hidden values. See, when I move past, help me to find a job, help me to stay healthy, help me to close this deal. When I move past all that and ask the question, why do I want this? then what's behind those requests comes to the surface. You know, maybe it's security or my concern for my family or my need to feel important or my need to be viewed in a certain way by my peers or be viewed in a certain way by my kids. Paul says, come on, I want you to dig that stuff up. I want you to come to God and spend the time until you have figured out your deepest, darkest, most bottom line hidden desire, your fears and insecurities. Answer the question, why is that such a big deal to you? Why? What's underneath all those surface prayer requests? See, that's when you really start doing life with God. That's when you get real with Him and say, God, I'm imperfect. I got these struggles, but you're perfect. I'm giving these struggles to you. See, that one word, present, reveal what is hidden, that one word in the Greek, it changes everything about the way we pray here. And then we come to Philippians 4, 7. It says, and the peace of God, not the peace of circumstances. We've all had that, right? Everything went fine today, so I had peace. Kids came home on time, meal was ready on time. Kids went to bed on time, I had peace. Paul says, no, that's the peace of the world, peace of circumstances. Paul says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, that word guard means to stand watch over, to stand watch over your heart, over your mind. And the reason we're so anxiety ridden is because we have not invited and allowed our heavenly father to stand guard over our hearts and our minds. We keep trying to send him out to stand guard over my job, stand guard over my kids. But God says, what if you allowed me? And what if I taught you how to allow me to stand guard over your heart and your mind? What if you could have peace in spite of and in the midst of the fact that there's uncertainty? What if instead of being stressed out in those moments of high anxiety, you learn to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer, you find peace? What Paul is saying is this, that in times of uncertainty, we need to learn how to pray until the peace comes. In times of uncertainty, we got to learn how to pray until that peace comes. We stay on our knees, not until the world changes because the world may not change. Right? Not until Paul is released from prison because he may never be released from prison. Not until your kids are perfect and get straight A's and get into the perfect school. That may never happen. But we have the opportunity because God has promised this. 
that we can pray until the peace comes. And we pray until the peace comes, not when we simply say, God, here's what I want. No, it's God, here is why I want it. And God, here's what I'm afraid will happen if you don't do it. And the reason I'm afraid, I, I guess, is because I'm insecure. And, and God, I guess I've never really learned to trust you like I need to. And God says, now you're really praying. Now you're presenting, you're revealing, you're digging it up. You're allowing me to take you there. And you'll emerge into the same world you came into this prayer with, but you'll have something you didn't have before. You will have the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. See, I skipped that part of the verse earlier, that surpasses all human comprehension. I mean, that means nobody understands it. I mean, people are going to look at you and go, are you like in denial? I mean, you seem to be okay. So, so things have changed. So you got a job. So your stocks went up. No, things are actually worse. The house flooded. Well, you seem to be okay. I am okay. But see, you're not okay because the world changed. You're okay because you changed. I love what C.S. Lewis said about prayer. He said, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. And so you pray until the peace comes. I want to give you a kind of a head start on this. I put this in your notes. And by the way, if you're not downloading those each week, please do so. There's a link on our website right underneath the sermon. You can click, download it, print it out. Here's what I put to get you started. Heavenly Father, I need you to blank. That's where our prayer should start. Heavenly Father, I need you to change my son. Heavenly Father, I need you to provide this. Okay? Now, the second part is where it gets interesting. If you don't, I'm afraid that blank. If you don't, I'm afraid that what? What are you afraid of? Say, I'm not afraid of anything. Yes, you are. You're afraid to admit you're afraid to start with. You know, psychologists tell us every human on this planet has fears. Just some people are totally out of touch with them. Next, what are your insecurities? So I'm, I'm not insecure about anything. Yes, you are. You're just too insecure to know it. Or maybe you really have blanked it out because you're so deeply insecure. That's okay. Heavenly Father, I need you to blank. That's the first question. Let me tell you to, where to begin. Begin with your greatest anxiety, the thing you're most stressed about. Begin with that thing that anytime you have any margin of thought, your mind just kind of automatically goes there. Like, what about? What if? What's going to happen? What is it you need God to do? That's first. And then here's the big part, the second part. God, if you don't, I'm afraid that blank. What are you afraid is going to happen? See, as you begin to dwell on the what if, ask your heavenly father, God, what am I so afraid of? Because your fears parallel your deepest desires. And I'm telling you, the peace is available for those men and those women who will allow their heavenly father to take them to that level of conversation, that level of honesty. Paul, the prisoner, promised it. And I know many of you have experienced this kind of peace in the midst of crazy, tumultuous circumstances. You know it's still available today. Folks, this isn't preacher talk. This isn't hocus pocus magic. This is your heavenly father inviting you to a new level of intimacy that most people, they never get there until their world begins to fall apart. So here's the question I want to pose as we wrap this up. Have you made your deepest, most hidden request known to God? Do you even know what it really is? See, when life is uncertain, God is not. He's still got the whole world in his hands. And what do we do in the meantime? We're supposed to pray and learn how to pray 
until the peace comes. God has not lost control. God has not fallen asleep at the wheel. So what are we supposed to do? We can either be anxiety ridden or we can learn to pray until the peace comes. And when you discover that amazing peace that surpasses all human comprehension, you will know your heavenly father in a way you've never known him before. And here's what's so cool. You may look back on these circumstances, this crazy pandemic of 2020, like so many people look back on similar crazy, tumultuous circumstances. And you may say, I would never sign up for that again, but I wouldn't trade those circumstances for what I've discovered about myself and the love of my heavenly father. When times are difficult, when times are uncertain, we have the responsibility yet the opportunity even to pray until the peace comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for some of us, this is a reminder. And maybe we think back to a time when we were desperate, we had no place to turn but you, and somehow we emerged from that time alone with you with a peace that didn't make any sense to anybody else, not even to us. It was a peace that just passes all human comprehension. And Father, for those listening today, and this is a bit new to them, would you give them the courage to just wrestle with you at the most honest, most transparent level that they've never maybe ever encountered you before at that level. And I pray that they would discover things about themselves they've never been able to admit, or maybe they never even knew before. God, I know that just this past week, this past Thursday, you've done that for me. You allowed me to dig deep and reveal to you something I didn't even know was deep down inside of me. So I pray that as your people just hand these things off to you, that you would reward their faith and their effort with this peace, this strange peace that only comes from you. And Father, teach us all during this time of uncertainty about the future, whatever it is you have to teach us. And as much as we would love for things to turn around, and God, we're praying that things will turn around soon. In the meantime, I pray that you would get maximum mileage out of the uncertainty in each of our hearts and lives. And that we would emerge with extraordinary faith and extraordinary character and extraordinary peace that defies everything going on around us. God, I thank you for inviting us into these kind of conversations with you at a deeper level where you ask us to, to dig deep, to present, to reveal what is hidden in our hearts to you. God, I thank you that you want to do life with us. You want us to include you in every thought, in every word, in every moment of our days. So God, I pray that that would be the regular rhythm of our lives, that we would learn how to do life with you moment by moment by moment. And also to be able to search our hearts and you would help us in that process. And that we would pray and that we would share with you and we would continue at that and not give up until the peace comes. In Jesus' name, amen.